Put it in your own words. What is it saying? It's all right. You got it? All scripture or, or study to show yourself approved. So study, show yourself approved unto who? God. You don't want to be embarrassed. You don't want God's disapproval. So in order not to be disapproved, to be approved, study. Uh, a, a workman. And so that word work, some of the, I think Bible says uh, to cut, rightly divide, that you might rightly divide. Remember that's a seamstress term in the Greek. Uh, you have a pattern and you cut straight. So you, you want to cut straight so the pieces come together. So if you're studying Genesis and the Psalms and another passage in, in the book of Acts, you, wanna, you, wanna, you want all those pieces to come together. You, you want to know how all of that fits together. A workman, right? Putting it all together. And it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. So... Uh, that you may be thoroughly equipped unto every good work. So, all right, now, now ask, I want you to look at this. This is on your, on your outline. Do this next one. Ta ask each other, do you study the Bible? If yes, why do you study? And if not, why not? So just be honest, ask each other. Talk about that. And we'll give you about two or three minutes is all. Okay, I'm going to cut you off. So uh, we hopefully all of us study so that we can be a, find God's approval. Um, notice it doesn't say, do you read your Bible? There's a difference. So I'm going to talk about that. There's a difference between reading your Bible and studying your Bible. Reading your Bible is fantastic, but it's not a substitute for studying the Bible. So um, why do some of you study the Bible? All right? Why do you study it? Kendall, why do you study the Bible? Don't say because I got to teach on Sunday. <laughs> because that, now that is a good reason. You want to be prepared. Okay. All right. Gloria, do you study, Gloria? Gloria, yeah. Yeah. Do you study? Why do you study? So you have a love for it. You love the word. You want to, it's Kendall. Um, you study, you doing some study, Jonathan? Why do you study?
Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. Um, study requires two things. Well, probably more than two. I started to think two. It requires some effort, and it also requires some discipline, some good methods. So, effort and some good methods. It also requires some time. Um, and so those, those are required for study. Um, I've, I've, I'm not a big New Year's resolution guy, but I do try to make resolutions just however, as the Lord speaks to me, or certain things I, I feel like I want to do that I'm resolved to do. And so I still have a lot of goals and things out in front of me, things that I want to do. And uh, this year, I've made a resolution that I'm going to relax and do a little more for Charlie. I'm not going to work as much. I'm not going to get lazy, but I'm not going to do as many hours as I've been doing the last few years because uh, I really have kind of neglected myself. And so one of the things I'm going to do is play some more golf. So I'm looking forward to it because that's relaxing to me. It's, as Barney Fife says, it's therapeutic. So I'm going to play a little more golf. And so something to do is, and so my goal is I want to play better. And if you, and, and just a little bit, I'm pretty competitive. I'm not competing to try to beat someone else, but I'm pretty competitive with myself. I'm always trying to do better. Uh, I was had lunch today with Terry Coutre, and we were talking about preaching. And, and I said, yeah, I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm still trying to learn how to be more effective, uh, to communicate. So still working at that. Uh, to play, uh, to play more, and to play better, and so to play better, you gotta take some work. It takes some work, takes some time, and it, and it also requires some good methodologies. If you if you have poor habits and you just keep doing the same things, then you're just gonna further ingrain poor habits. So it requires time, requires some work, requires good methodologies, good some good methods, and and that's that's true with uh, with Bible study. Um, the same things are required. It requires time, it requires some work, and it re requires some some good study methods. The the um, for those of you, especially those of you who teach. Here, little kids or students or adults, um, and, and I don't think you should prepare less to teach kids than you should adults. Both of those are serious um, because we don't want to waste people's time and we want to have something to say. We want to have a message that's appropriate for those that we're studying. But you, when you teach, when I preach, that's, that's an offering to the Lord. And the thing that makes that offering acceptable to God is the time, which is a sacrifice, that you put forth in study and preparation. Does that make sense? So the time that, that you are willing to, to put in as a teacher in study, in prayer, offering that time to God, that's what makes your teaching acceptable to God. That's the offering. So David, remember the Old Testament said, I will not offer anything to God that's not, that it's not been a sacrifice. 
because that's what makes it. You remember in the Old Testament, they were offering him cheap sacrifices. Malachi, they were bringing animals that were lame and blind and <laughs> sick, and they were offering that to God. And God says, what? I don't accept that. So part of, part of preaching for me is the time. That's, that's, the, that's the sacrifice, the time that I spend with God in preparation that makes the offering acceptable to the Lord. And it's same with teacher preparation. And, and so I just have great pre appreciation for teachers uh, in this church who teach kids, who teach uh, teenagers or adults. Thankful for your willingness to work. And those of you who have good Sunday school teachers need to, every once in a while, uh, express an attaboy. Everybody needs some encouragement. It goes, and it's a blessing. Uh, say, attaboy, we appreciate your, um, you know, your, your time that you've uh, put forth. And it requires, as a teacher, it requires good methods. So, um, just, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but as you teach, um, um, I would suggest that if you're going to teach next Sunday, that on Sunday night before you teach next Sunday, that before you go to bed, you take 30 minutes and read the text for next Sunday. Okay? Because if you get ready to go on a family vacation and you start packing the night before, you're going to forget stuff. You're going to leave things out. And you're not going to have any confidence when you teach. There is no Jack and I were talking. There is no worse feeling when you have your when my preparation has been shoddy. Which I will tell you this: it's it's been many many years since I have gone into the pulpit with shoddy preparation. And the reason is that is because there is no worse feeling than when you preach a dud and you know before God that you didn't spend any time in study and prayer and seeking him and you go into that classroom or that come out of that pulpit and I'm telling you, you just beat yourself up because you know you didn't offer a, a, a worthy offering to the Lord. And it's a pretty, you've done, I've done it before. <laughs> Saturday night specials. You know, they just you're just not going to go into that classroom with any kind of confidence, and you're not going to feel like you have any word from the Lord. Okay? And that's why a lot of teachers dilly-dally around for 20 or 30 minutes and wait till 10 o'clock before they start teaching so they don't got a 15 window because they don't have anything to say. More people have been lost in Bible studies, Sunday school classes, from poor teaching than have ever been one through aggressive outreach. I told you about going to eat with, at the little Dumas restaurant, the little drive over there. Well, Minnie and I went with Lisa and Gail. I'll go back. Wasn't fancy, but man, the hospitality was good. It was clean and the food was excellent. So you're going to go where you get fed. So I just have a lot of appreciation for teachers who sacrifice. But start early. Take, get... Get on set. You're going to know what the text is next Sunday. Get your Bible. Just get along with the Lord. Take 30 minutes on that Sunday night for next Sunday. Read the text. Pray and ask the Holy Spirit to, to help you. Take a paper, pad, pen, and pencil, whatever, and just take some notes. On this Saturday night, it'll take you 30 minutes and write down what is the main idea. At least I know next Sunday it's about sanctification or it's about the value of God's wrath or whatever it is and just marinate it 
on it all week. And it will make a big difference. If you wait till Friday or Saturday, and, and I would also say this, do, do not, do not, do not, do not, do not, do not, do not read your commentaries. Don't read commentaries. That's somebody else's thoughts. Get your own thoughts from the Lord. Use commentaries as a last resort. Don't cheat God. Don't cheat the Holy Spirit. God will speak to you, right? So there might be, as you're reading the text, you might not understand it, and then you might need a commentary to help you understand it, but seek the Lord first. Let him give you some thoughts for the people in your class, for your group, somebody that's just lost a child or somebody that's going through cancer and stuff, and you know their needs, and so you seek the Lord for those that God has entrusted to your care. You know, and I will tell you that, you could do in 30, 40 minutes just seeking the Lord, taking notes, writing out the main ideas. That would take you much less time than reading through those Sunday school quarterlies. And God help us if we're still teaching classes by somebody standing up and reading the quarterly. That is as boring. I, don't do that. <laughs> take your own notes. Have something to say. Don't just, they can stay home and read the quarterly. I hope I'm not offending you. I, I'm, I'm just, we just, we got to raise the bar, y'all. Look, I'm becoming Mississippian. Said, y'all. So start early, take your own notes, do the commentaries as a last resort, you know, just, just to affirm that you're on the right track. There's some weeks I don't use commentaries at all. You, see, you probably say, well, I, we can tell. <laughs> so, but uh, anyways, so let me ask you this question. And by, by the way, uh, Lynn and Gloria and Kathy and who else is in that group? So there, there's a, Minnie's been reading this Bible study book um, on how to study the Bible. She's been reading that to me and it's been good. And so I said, well, can, you know, I started reading that myself and some of, the, some of these thoughts kind of as an introduction I want to share with you and I come from that book, but really, really good. But let me ask you a question. So this is for your, for your group. So I answer this question, is it possible, or by the way, let me, I've skipped over, ask each of what does the word disciple mean? Turn to your group, what's the word disciple mean in the Bible? You got it? What's it mean, Roy? What's the word disciple mean? Okay, it's a follower of Jesus. That's right on. All of us are followers of Christ. And by the way, you'll, when I'm preaching, you won't hear me talk about being a Christian a lot. You'll hear me more about talking about following Jesus because the word Christian, they, you ask somebody if they're a Christian, everybody says, yeah. It's almost like it doesn't mean anything. Are you a follower of Jesus? That's different, right? So I don't use, I don't use the word, are you a Christian a lot? I use a bit more spirit. So certainly a disciple is one who follows Jesus, but the actual word itself means what? What? Not follower. Learner, student. So the word literally, the word disciple means a student, a learner. And certainly you, you're one who follows the Lord Jesus. So, all right, got you another question for you asking your group. Now this is, do you think, it's on your outline, do you think it's possible to know the Bible but not really know the Bible? 
Talk about that. Is it possible to know the Bible but not really know the Bible? Talk about that. What does that mean? How many of you think it's possible to know the Bible but not know the Bible? Okay. Why? Why, why, do, you, why do you say that? Somebody, who, who, who's, got a, who's got a great thought? Why do you think that, Rick? I think it's possible to understand what the Word of God is, but not really understand the Okay. So Rick said it's possible to know surface level things but not the deeper truth, deeper meanings. What else? Head knowledge. We know facts. But you don't really, it's not, there's, there's a lack of transformation here from here to here. Yeah, it's possible. Um, if you grow up in church, you're going to know the Bible. You're going to know the Old Testament versus the New Testament. You might even know all the books of the Bible, all 66 books. You would know the first book of the Bible is Genesis. The first book of the New Testament is, man, you might be able to name the four Gospels. You probably have memorized John 3.16. Uh, you... You can know the Bible. You can know things about the Bible, but it doesn't mean you really know it, that you really understand it. Um, names of the books. Um, this, this author that I mentioned made this quote, and I thought it was really good. It says, she said, I treasure what I know, talking about the Bible, I treasure what I know, but I'm more troubled by what I don't know. How many of you ever feel that way about the Bible? Yeah, I get, I told you when I, when I first went to, to the Providence Baptist Church in Webster County, Kentucky, I started pastoring when I was 23 years old, and one of my greatest fears is I was, I was going to run out of things to preach. And now, and I shared, I thought about this Sunday, actually having in my introduction Sunday in the message, what I wish the Lord would give me another 40 years been preaching for 38 years and I wish I had another 40 because I just I just feel like I'm even I'm just I'm, I sincerely mean this I just feel like I'm starting to grasp some things more clearly than I ever have biblically and I wish I could have another 40 years or wish I could what is that old phrase I wish I knew then what I know now and I, and I wish I how many of you feel that way about parenting <laughs> I wish I knew then what I wish now, but God, that doesn't work that way. And, uh, but um, still trying to learn the Word of God. What's the difference? Talk about this in your group. What's the difference between reading the Bible and studying the Bible? How would you explain that it is different? It is different. So what's, how is it different? Reading the Bible versus studying the Bible. Okay, Miss, let me, so there is a difference, right? All of you think there's a difference? Um, what's it, read? So, Tony, what's the difference between reading it and studying it? 
Well, in your opinion. Yeah. Yeah. So it takes, yeah, so you can just read through it, but to study it, it's, it's much slower, much slower. You got to marinate it. You, you, you got to, um, I read through uh, Psalm 67 today and so made some notes and then I was going to work through Luke 9 and I only got through two verses in Luke 9. If anyone wants to come after me and be my disciple, he needs to take up his cross daily and follow me and whoever will lose his life will find it and whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. That, that was that. I just you know, about 30, 40 minutes just on those two sections, just thinking deeply. There, I got this idea several years ago from a guy named Chris Grant. He was diagnosed with cancer, he was pretty well advanced, and, and they gave, he only lived about four weeks after his diagnosis. And he had two daughters, Beth and Holly. And so I went to visit him in the hospital, and Chris, uh, he had his Bible and he had his uh, notebook. And I said, Chris, what are you doing? And he said, I'm, I'm reading through the Bible as much as I can, and I'm writing notes to Holly and Beth. Pretty, pretty awesome. And so that idea stayed with me. And so several years ago, I thought I'm going to read through the Bible, and each Bible that I read to, I'm going to devote it to one of my kids. So I read through the Bible and made notes in it to Abby. She hadn't gotten it yet, but I, Abby's is finished. And then I read through and dedicated every chapter, every verse, and made notes on the margins and the pages to Andrew. And then I read through the Bible and made notes and dedicated that to Elizabeth. And I'm working on my last one, which is Emily. And, um, and, and it's getting slower and slower Every time, and I don't read through it in a year. Um, I'm, I'm, it takes me probably a couple of years to go through it. Um, but I'm getting slower. Minnie, Minnie keeps standing. She said, have you gotten that done to Emily yet? Have you gotten that done to Emily yet? I said, no, I'm working on it. She said, well, you better get that done. Something happens to you. She's going to be awfully disappointed if the other three got one. She didn't. So, so what are you trying to tell me? So I did. We had, I had put that Bible with me in the moving truck, the U-Haul, the, the and I backed that truck up to, on Cedar Street, and there was a bunch of men, women, some of you were there and helped us unload. It was a blessing, and we had some. Well, Will Foley said, hey, I'll take the truck back to you. See, so he turned the truck back in here locally, and I was looking around, looking around where was my Bible, and, and, and uh, I didn't have it, and I left it in the truck. So I told Will, so we went back up there. It wasn't locked. And, and the, it was actually the next day, and it was still in there. So I was like, you know, that made me sick to think that I might lose that. So, but uh, why did I say that? Why did I, why did I tell you that? Uh, I don't even remember why I was telling you that for. Difference between reading and studying and meditating and thinking about it and praying on that as we go. It's a lot slower process, but it's, it's the way to know that. Um, what's, the th what's the theme of the Bible? What's the theme of the Bible? What's the main message of the Bible? Someone take a stab at it. Jesus 
is the scarlet thread that runs through it. But I would say in answer it, it's both. I'd say the main theme, the main message of the Bible is God. It is God's revelation of himself to us. And that revelation got clearer through the person and the work of Christ. Right? Uh, someone, someone read, Kendall, would you read Hebrews 1, 1 and 2? What, what is, what is the, fullest, the fullest revelation of God to us is what? Jesus. So how, do, how, does, how has God revealed himself to people? Well, he's revealed himself through nature, right? Uh, the psalmist says, the heavens declare the majesty, the glory of God. You go out to, uh, to the ocean and watch a sunset, or some morning watch a sunrise, you ever see the clouds when it's kind of cloudy and dark and overcast and there'll be a hole in them and those rays are coming out of the clouds? The heavens, God has revealed himself to us through nature, through creation. Paul also says that God has revealed himself to all people through conscience, Romans 1 and 2. All men have an awareness of God, this conscience. Uh, Ecclesiastes 3, the Bible says that God has placed within man, Solomon said this, pretty wise fella, God has placed within the, the hearts of all men a sense of eternity. What does that mean? A sense of eternity. That means that we, there's an awareness that there's something more. Something more. Now you can deny it. Take an atheist position, maybe a agnostic position, some kind of thing like that. But deep down, people, the Bible says, God, people, people still have a sense that there is a God, there is a creator. It's revealed in creation, it's revealed in conscience, there's a sense of eternity. Um, God has revealed himself through his word. Thank God for his word. What does Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 say, Kendall? So God in times past has spoken in various ways. Theophanies. He spoke to Moses through a burning bush. That's a theophany. He spoke to, um, uh, speak, he could speak through a donkey. <laughs> Balaam Balak, that whole story. Um, but he says in these last days, his final revelation, his fullest revelation to us has been through his son. The Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And whoever knows me knows the Father. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you think you know God, but you reject me. You, you don't know. You, you don't know. So the theme, the main storyline of the Bible is God. And it's fully revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Um, and so then only makes sense then the aim of Bible study, Bible reading, and the, the aim of it, the goal, the purpose, 
is to know God. Um, to see him in his word, to get to know him, that's the purpose of the Bible. God wants us to know him. He's revealed himself to know him. Um, and so the purpose of Bible study is more than acquiring facts and knowledge of the Bible. That's certainly valuable, but that's not the, the main purpose of it. Um, and the, every, every page of the Bible reveals God. Well, just top of your head, when you read, what would you say is the main, if, from the book of Genesis, what would you say that the main thing that Genesis reveals to us about God might be what? Genesis. What does, that, what does Genesis reveal about God? Creator, power to create, the power of his word. He spoke everything into existence. What might be the main thing that Exodus teaches us about God? What? Deliverance. deliverance. I didn't hear you, Vicki. Mercy, deliverance, miracles, power, deliverer. Leviticus, the law, God, there's right and wrong. I mean, just go through that. The Psalms could reveal to us, what would the Psalms reveal to us about God? What, what again? The heart of God, his, his glory, is worthy of worship, his awe, his splendor, his justice. What are the Gospels revealed about God? It revealed Jesus and, and, and the good news that, um, so the gospels, a revelation might reveal something to us. What would revelation reveal to us about God? Future. He's in control. He has a purpose. He has all, he has all dominion, all authority, right? So the, the Bible reveals, reveals God. Now, the reason that's important to kind of reset on is because when I and you and I read the Bible and the study the Bible, that means the main purpose of my reading and my studying is not what? Me. I, I, I do this. We probably all do it. How many times have I read the Bible and just trying to think about what does this have to say to me? There's nothing, the Bible does speak to us, right? And it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, training, righteousness, that we might be thoroughly furnished or equipped unto every good work. So there's benefit to us. But if we approach reading the Bible and studying the Bible for what it has to say to me, we miss the, the primary purpose of studying and reading the Bible. Does that make sense? My main purpose is, God, I want to know you. I want to know who you are. I want to know what you're like. I want to know what you think. God, I want you to know how you feel about things. I want to know how you're at work. I want to know about your, it's to know God. And um, so um, not... God, I, do I take this job or that job? So I want to read the Bible. I, I want to be more happy. Um, God, I, I, 
I want, to, I want to manage my money better. I need to be a better husband. I need to be a better parent. I, God, I'm just anxious. I need peace. So I want to read your Bible. Anything, is there anything necessarily wrong with those things? No. Does the Bible address all of those things? Yeah. But if that's our starting point, we have a, we have a, it, you remember I talked about if you're going to practice, you need good methodologies, you need good mechanics so that you can, it, and it's a, it's a faulty way to study the Bible. Um, and it's short-sighted. So all of those are relevant issues, but the bigger issue is who is God? What is God doing? How is God working? In Exodus 3, when, when uh, 40 years in the wilderness, or 40 years in Egypt, God's protecting Moses, moving him along. He's learning about Egyptian culture. Why might that be important for Moses' life? Because now in the future, God brings him back to Egypt. Then he puts him out in the Midian, in the wilderness for 40 years. What was the purpose of that 40 years? He's teaching him how to survive and live in the wilderness, one thing, because that might be important later on for how God uses him, but the other thing is he's built, Moses has developed in a relationship with God during those 40 years. And by the way, go through the Bible and study how uh, some of the great characters, great men and women of God came out of the wilderness. Can you think of some other Old Testament people? Elijah spent time in the wilderness. Moses. Um, New Testament? Huh? John the Baptist spent time in the wilderness. Uh, uh, Jesus, first thing we marks his beginning of his ministry. Spirit of God leads him into the wilderness. Um, the Apostle Paul, after he has his conversion experience in Acts 9, Galatians says he disappears to this region and describes it. For three years after Paul is converted, he, he disappears. He's in a deserted region of Galatia. What's Paul doing for three years there? God's doing something. And so uh, all of these... Moses is in the wilderness, has this theophany experience, sees this burning bush, goes up there, and God calls him. Calls him to be uh, this deliverer, this savior. And you remember, there's this, it's great, Exodus 3, 4, and 5, those, those chapters where when, he, when God calls him, what does Moses do? It's sincere. It, he's, I think when you read that, he's very sincere. Moses, take off your shoes, for you're standing on holy ground, and I'm, you, I want you to go back and bring my people out of Egypt, go back to Pharaoh. And Moses says, what? I don't, who are you? I don't know you. I don't even know your name. Who, who, do, who do I tell him to send me? I am who I am. I'm not a good speaker. I don't know what to say. I'll, I'll give you the words. I'll control your tongue. Also, I'll use Aaron. Well, what if they don't believe me? What if this? What if that? It, I think he sincerely feels inadequate. He's making excuses. But in Exodus 3, God begins to speak to him and gets his focus off of himself, and he gets his focus on God. It's a better it's a better. Um, do, do any of you ever get down on yourself? Yeah. Most people do. 
Not everybody admits it. I was going through a little funk a few weeks ago and thought, man, I, I listened to myself and watched myself preach, and it just, it was brutal. <laughs> it's just brutal. Do, do any of you like to listen to your voice or watch your, it's, I mean, it, and I, for about two weeks, I just beat myself up. It's horrible grammar and seeing all this stuff in myself, you know, you just focus was on me. People do that. I'm not good enough, not pretty enough, not smart enough, don't know enough. You know, I think it happens to a lot of young people. You know, I'm not as pretty as she is. I'm not as smart as he is. I'm not as athletic as he is. I'm not, I don't make good grades. I don't know what to do. I'm not good at anything. And a lot of that carries over into people's life. And that's why it's so important that we as followers of Jesus learn to our, our find our identity and our worth and our value in Christ, in the gospel. Teen, teenage suicide among girls, all-time high, over body image. You know, all the pressure, social media stuff, you know. Um, real, real stuff. So God gets his focus off of himself and on to the Lord and so uh, when you read the Bible, when you study the Bible individually or if I'm teaching or if I'm preaching, you are, the first thing is what does this say about God? We, we immediately want to jump to the application. God, what, is, what do I need to know about you? How do I see you at, here at work? That's, that's where our source, that's, he, it's all from him. So um, you, you, Romans 8 this is God's will that all of us be conformed to the image of his son, to be like Jesus. That's our, my goal as a Christian is not to go to heaven. My goal is a, that's a reward. My goal as a Christian is to be like Christ. By the way, where were they first called Christians? In Antioch. The word Christian means little Christs. They were first called little Christs. 